Hi, everybody. Welcome again to the Keto Endurance Podcast. I have two of my favorite people on today, Abby and Spencer Smith, who are doing some amazing things with holistic agriculture and teaching all kinds of cool people how to do the same thing. So welcome, Abby and Spencer. Thank you, Stephanie. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I'm in sunny Mexico right now looking over the water, visiting my mom. Oh, so we both of us, wonderful. Abby and Spencer and I all have a little bit of poor internet connection, so we're talking through Zoom, and hopefully there's not going to be too much delay for the listeners. Today, we are going to hopefully answer the question to PETA's Twitter post of arguments, the reasons why you should eat bacon, and we're going to frame it, not so much the nutrition of bacon, because that's a completely different argument, but on the fact that bacon or pigs can actually make the planet a better place. And nobody is better than Spencer and Abby to probably discuss that, I think. Uh, all right. Well, we'll just we'll take that challenge. And we'll... So let's first go over. Can you just give? A, can you give the listeners a brief overview of what you do with um, holistic ag? What you do? Who you are? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm Abby, and this is Spencer, and we have the Jefferson Center for Holistic Management. It's a savory global network hub that serves Northern California and Nevada. So we're part of a global network of other people like us around the world who are helping advance holistic management and regenerative agriculture in their region. And we do that through offering events and courses and training in holistic management and the practices of regenerative agriculture we offer programs to our region that come through the Savory Institute. Um, we're like the land to market program that we'll be launching that helps incentivize producers to, or rewards producers who are building soil and building um, water holding capacity in soil instead of mining and depleting it. So there's, there's um, anyway, we can talk a lot about that later, but, but what we do is, is really offer that, training and support and consulting to our region. And then Spencer does more training beyond that. Um, I mean, outside of our region, we also, we live in far Northern California. So right near the Oregon and Nevada border and our, we manage our family's organic ranch. We raise cattle and then we have our own little, like, what would you say? Homestead style um, garden and chickens and milk cow. So we don't do those on an enterprise level, but we do uh, graze. So we grow grass and we produce beef on a enterprise level. So I think that's us. That sounds pretty cool. So let's talk a little bit about holistic agriculture. So what is it and why is it important? You talked a little bit about water and soil, but I think a the listeners don't understand really well to understand what how agri how raising animals can help the soil 
Yeah. So Spencer, Spencer is the soil guy. So I'm going to let him answer that question. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it really goes down to how all of these um, grassland biomes and they, the ecosystem in general evolved over the last millennia um, to develop the complexity that it's got now. Um, you know, going along with, with like the predator-prey relationship, you've got all these herbivores that uh, have moved across the landscape and they were pressured by pack hunting predators since those pack hunter predators were following around and eating the, the weak and the young and the sick, they developed um, a herding instinct. So now we've got, you know, millions and millions of animals of, of herbivores that are herded together in these, these large groups. And as they do that, they're, they're constantly trampling and dunging and urinating all over their food source. So they're moving across the landscape. As the, the predators and the, the herbivores evolve together in that sort of a symbiotic relationship to kind of keep you know, the, the whole system healthy, so did the grass, the soil, and the herbivores. So the, the plants that were not um, suited for periodic defoliation and, and that type of grazing pressure, um, you know, they, they pretty much left the scene millions of years ago as this whole uh, process was unfolding. So now we're in a situation where all these landscapes um, need to be grazed or defoliated or, or stimulated by um, herbivores in order to keep the process healthy and, and moving forward. So holistic management and regenerative agriculture in general um, both do a lot to mimic that relationship um, so that the landscape can regain its um, functionality and increase in complexity. Um, when, it, when I say that, what we're trying to do when we're, we're talking about building soil is, is pull carbon out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil profile. Now this is one, because pulling carbon out of the atmosphere is a huge issue we, we need to deal with right away, but the benefits of doing it and putting it back in the soil are huge. Um, as we increase our, our soil organic matter, our soil carbon by a percent, we increase our water holding capacity by 25,000 gallons um, per acre per six inches. So if we're looking at taking a piece of property from two, three percent um, organic matter to you know six or seven percent organic matter, we've just created a landscape that is you know incredibly drought resistant and flood tolerant, and uh, you know doesn't need the the uh, amount of uh, irrigation that most agriculture needs today. So we're saving a ton of water. Also, as we build soil, it produces and, and makes available, um, you know, tons and tons and tons of plant-available nutrients that in the commodity or mainstream agriculture process is now sprayed on with, with synthetic and chemical um, fertility treatments. So the soil can very easily produce all the needs for the plants that, that it needs in there so long as the soil is healthy itself. So what we do is we travel and help farmers and ranchers develop um, holistic uh, management plans so that their landscape can increase in water holding capacity and their, their products can increase in nutrient density and they can produce more, more production, more profit, and, and a better life for the folks in those communities. Um, Livestock are a huge tool that we use to do so, whether we're working with people in a cropping system that are looking at increasing nutrient density and, and kind of breaking that fertilizer addiction. Um, 
And so, you know, to talk about sustainable agriculture, regenerative agriculture, you really can't have that conversation without talking about livestock and how properly managed livestock can, can improve the situation on a whole. So the only thing I'd add to that or more is like a, a meta level statement about what Spencer just said is that if you, if you're asking what is holistic agriculture or holistic management, it's really about, uh, and I'm not just trying to be funny here, but it's about managing holes and whole systems. So if you think of typical agriculture or typical uh, production in our, in our society, it's very industrial. So you're focusing on inputs, you're creating outputs, there's efficiencies, there's costs, and it's this model, a very linear model. And really with nature, you're, you, there's a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of interconnectivity. Usually there's not single use. Things have multiple use, multiple purposes. They, they fit their niche very securely in the ecosystem. And so when you're managing, um, when you're looking at agriculture, it's looking at managing the whole system. So you're looking at the soil, the grass, the animals, the people, and it's all connected. So how do you manage that uh, both economically, well, economically, ecologically, and socially so that we can, we can make it? So I hope that helps, Stephanie. That does help. I think that the, I love Spencer's phrase, fertilizer addiction. That, and then yeah. I'm talking about holistic agriculture it's like any I really appreciate the idea it looks at the big picture you're you can't take one element out and not or only focus on, on one element and you're not going to have the results that really benefit all the different parts so I think right. that's great so in the sort of the question that PETA put out why is bacon how the arguments for bacon and the argument that we're making or I'm making and I'm helping you make it is that the reason why pigs you can use as a tool in holistic agriculture to mimic nature and move across the land and in that process you're helping sequester carbon, you're pulling carbon from the atmosphere and putting it back to the soil. The soil's much happier with the carbon in it and it uses less water and maintains water and crops grown with more carbon in the soil grow better and they're not addicted to fertilizer that's needed to grow the crops. Is that right? That's a, a little bit of a summary. Yeah. So pigs are our friend and if you have lots of pigs making um, pulling carbon from the atmosphere and they're having babies and making more pulling carbon from the atmosphere we can eat those little piggies and they're tasty and we can thank them for all the work they do <laughs> <I'm so good. laughs> we, we can eat those piggies that were tasty and we can thank them for all the work they did to to reverse global warming and pull that carbon from the atmosphere and we can appreciate their little babies they're going to be tasty too <laughs> right, exactly. Yes, and I, I think you did an amazing summary. You're, you really got it. That's like so exciting. And I think uh, I want Spencer has a, a, he'll have a big answer for this because if this is really his his space and his specialty. But I just wanted to say briefly that to reframe the question just slightly, 
that that PETA put out there. And what I what I want to do is just state that in our answer, all meat is not created equal. So to beef is not just beef. It depends on how it's produced and how it's raised. That um, so it could be something that's really really good for you, or actually something that's not just good for you. So and not good for um, It just depends on how it's produced. Right, and not good for anyone, right? Because right. you know, if it's not good for, you know, if it's if it's um, creating, if it's actually releasing carbon into the atmosphere, if it's re, um, stripping topsoil, if it's creating waste, it's not going to, it's it's not going to be have any nutrients in it, and it won't be good for for a person. So it's actually really, um, it's so connected. I'll let Spencer talk but the idea is that um <laughs> <a lot>. yeah. <laughs> i'll stop talking but i just i just wanted to reframe it to say that um uh, yeah not all meat is created equal right it's a holistic yeah so um go on spencer no no go ahead i'm sorry i didn't mean to catch you off. oh i was just going to say that I think that's an important point that a lot of vegans who are vegan because they're concerned about the environment or concerned about the health of the food, health of the animal, and health of the people who eat animal, make the assumption that all meat, all beef, all pork is raised universally the same. And that's, that's not true. And one way will... Yeah. The, the piggies live a happy life. The soil is happy. The people who eat the, the pig are happy. Ha the bacon are happy. And the environment around where that pig grew up actually is enriched and they're happy. And, you know, the, the soil's happy. The little birds in the trees, the skunks in the, uh, in the fields and the little mice that get torn up from tractors and they're happy. So there's lots of things that it's a it's a little more holistic agriculture is more looking at making lots of things happy instead of industrial agriculture where the they're looking at the bottom line like Aggie or Abby talked about earlier. So Spencer, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, and you know, I mean, oh, go ahead. Yeah, it's. You know, looking at the bottom line is not a bad situation. Everybody in any business needs to be conscious of the bottom line. But just as it turns out, when we start managing for the health of the entire land base, the entire community, the, the, the you know, places where we are growing this food and then distributing it, we end up making more money because there are far less inputs and the profit margins go up. And it is typical for folks that uh, we work with and that work with the Savory Institute to achieve much greater profit margins in a very, you know, within the first year just by implementing uh, holistic management because they're producing more and, uh, you know, spending less to do so. So the, the profit goes up, um, you know, to, to kind of bat around a little further what you've been talking about. You know, it's PETA is, you know, they're important and they're, they provide an important function because they keep kind of um, disrupting the space and making sure that people are conscious of, you know, kind of the, 
the worst of the worst in agriculture. And a lot of their stuff is a little bit propagandized and, and a lot of it is, you know, just factually untrue. But in the, in the end, what they're doing is that they're making sure that, that people are at least superficially, superficially conscious of the food that they eat. Now, having said that, you know, a pork chop's not a pork chop's not a pork chop. Um, you know, if you are, you know, raising hogs and farrowing crates and those pigs never see the light of day and, you know, it's a, it's a absolutely a, a negative situation. It's, you know, it, that bacon isn't good for, for anybody. I mean, certainly it's going to have the, the protein and fat requirements for metabolic function for the folks that eat it, but it's not going to have the uh, micronutrient and the, um, you know, what we really want our food to be be heavy with um, rather than if we grow our hogs on healthy regenerating landscapes and allow those pigs to be piggy um, they're going to be getting a much more diverse and wider array in their diet and having um, you know have having that in their diet they're going to be picking up a lot more nutrients from their environment and then creating nutrient um, uptake in the plants that they're you know, that they're consuming because they're, you know, as those plants pull those nutrients up or pull those nutrients out of the atmosphere to put it in its vegetation, once it goes through the hog, most of those nutrients are then deposited back on the landscape in the form of dung and urine um, so that more crops and more vegetation can in turn pick that up again. In terms of hog agriculture um, specifically, there are a lot of farmers that are pasturing their pork, or <coughs> excuse me, pasturing their pork and getting uh, some great, high-quality meat and and some really fantastic results on the landscape. I was fortunate enough to spend about three weeks in Georgia this spring with Will Harris at White Oak Pastures, and uh, he's got it figured out probably better than anybody in terms of pork production that is you know, absolutely the, the happiest pigs in the world and uh, the highest quality pork. Um, really a fantastic product that he produces. And, uh, you know, if you, you haven't, if you're not familiar with White Oak Pastures and Will Harris, you should really check them out um, because, you know, they, they do a great job and they ship product all over the United States. So um, if you're going to eat pig and bacon, um, White Oak's pork is about the best you can eat. Right, so can I add something as well? Yeah. <laughs> I just did. So uh, a couple things. We Spencer and I started purchasing our our uh, bacon and our pork products from our neighbor who neighbors who do pastured pork, and uh, we don't raise pigs ourselves. But the the uh, flavor profile and the the quality of the meat is just it's just not even comparable you you cannot go back to eating a store-bought pork chop after you've had pastured pork and especially if it's local and you know your farmer i think there's that's just the i think that's the ultimate uh, the best case scenario and i think like spencer said uh, other great options are producers who are are operating zero waste systems like like white oak pastures we just as a an anecdote uh, we were spending some time with uh, a, a writer named Barry Estabrook earlier this year. He came, he's uh, wrote the the books Tomato Land, and he also just wrote a book called Pigtails, an omnivore's quest for sustainable meat. And he's obviously very 
interested in sustainable agriculture. He's a writer from the East Coast. So he came out to spend some time with us on the ranch and look at uh, the concept of regenerative agriculture and holistic planned grazing. So he was telling us when we were out there in the field and just talking about happy animals and what that looks like and how happy animals mean that other things in the system are happy, like the soil, like you said, Stephanie. And he was saying that for, for his experience and in, in all the different systems of agriculture and products that he's researched, that the pigs were the best of the best and the worst of the worst. So when he toured the, the, um, confi the typical hog operations, he said that was the worst of the worst. You know, the, the, the pigs were so unhappy. And when he was touring places like White Oak Pastures, they were so happy. They were playing and jumping and rooting around. And so I think that, I, I think that thinking of it on that spectrum that um, really, especially with, with uh, pigs, because they're, they just have a level of intelligence that, that isn't, is different than other animals, that they can be the best of the best or the worst of the worst. That's a what? That's a good, good information. And I think that sometimes people think, oh, well, if they're so intelligent, if pigs are so intelligent, I don't want to eat them. And the thing I think it is important to remember, everything on earth eats something to stay alive. <laughs> so it's, and just because you're young, yeah. The pig is losing its life, but it's in losing its life in service of providing a life for us, and we're thankful for that. But all animals have a predator-prey relationship. I mean, when we die, if we're not embalmed, but we, the bugs are still going to eat us, and there's going to be a snake or a lizard that's going to eat the bugs. And then there's going to be a hawk that's going to eat the lizard. So something's always eating something else. But something we can do, or I do, is appreciate the fact that that, that food is giving me life. And we seem, you know, in our culture, we have a, a lot of, you know, our soldiers who go to war who lose their life, we appreciate them because they are fighting for all of us for our freedom. Well, I don't, I mean, it's sort of a little bit of, in my head, I think of it is that that pig is giving its life for my nutrients and my health. And when someone gives that sacrifice, you know, we, it's something to be appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you kind of touched on something there as well that, that I like to uh, um, ground people with a little bit when I, uh, you know, speak to different conferences and different, different groups. We have basically the same amount of carbon, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, calcium, manganese, and, and all the rest of the nutrients and the, and the minerals on earth that we've ever had, Right. So the carbon-based life form that are us is made of completely recycled stuff. We have been predator, we have been prey, we have been um, everything in terms of, of what makes up our body and, and what makes up you know, everything around us is a constant recycling of the same nutrients. Aside from an air and asteroid that punctures our, our atmosphere, 
we are, are pretty much, you know, we are relatively static in terms of, of what's available to build um, plants and animals and, and people out of on this planet. So in order to stay grounded and, uh, you know, keep everybody understanding that we are what we eat and if we eat healthy, happy, um, you know, animals and, and food sources that are grown on the healthiest soil, we will then regain our health and, you know, some of the lifestyle diseases being obesity, diabetes, forms of cancer, autism, um, and a whole heart disease and a whole host of others start to go down again when we, we watch that we're eating food that's, that's grown in healthy soil. Um, and yeah, I mean, we were all mastodon shit at one point because, uh, you know, we've, we've been forages probably more than we've been herbivores. So, um, just as the, the way the, the cycle goes and we'll continue to, to return to the soil at, at some point and uh, it'll all recycle again. Good point. <laughs> That's a, I, I wish we didn't have a little bit of, uh, we have a little bit of a delay so it makes it a little hard to we're not talk over each other. But I, I just love that summary, and I think that's pretty – I don't want to take all your time, but I do appreciate your time. And I, I hope our arguments are heard and, and not necessarily – I'm not trying to change anybody from a vegan to a meat eater. Well, maybe I am a little bit. But I think that it's important to realize that, that pork and meat – can be good for your body and good for the environment, good for the land, and it's, it's an important for that circle of life. And that it makes a difference, the choices you eat, you know, not only for yourself, but the world around you to um, make the world a better place. Yeah, that's well said. Thank you so much, Abby and Spencer. I love talking to you always, and maybe we can have you again some other time with maybe some other questions. <laughs> right. That would be awesome. We'd love it, Stephanie. Have fun in Mexico. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. You guys are the best. All right. We'll talk to you later. All right, bye. Bye.